and welcome to a very special live episode of the Filene Fill-In. I'm Holly Fearing with Filene. The Filene Fill-In is the podcast where we fill you in on what's been going on here at Filene's home base and out and about in the financial services world. How can credit unions in the 21st century deliver the very best member experience? Filene Research Institute's namesake, Ed Filene, wrote the book Speaking of Change, in which he emphasized the importance of always looking ahead, never remaining stagnant, and keeping up with the ever-changing times. And at the start of each year, Filene takes a moment's pause to reflect and speak to our local credit union community to share the latest insights from our research and incubation and examine the changes we see on the horizon. This year, we share our newest and emerging research on member experience, service excellence, and digital transformation. Because for the first time ever, banks are scoring higher on customer satisfaction than credit unions. For the credit union of the 21st century to not only survive, but thrive, it is vital to understand what the research shows are the best ways to win on experience. You're about to hear from Filene's Chief Research and Development Officer, George Hofheimer, with an overview on the importance of aligning on the right data to establish a member satisfaction baseline, how to target members and build a value proposition designed specifically for them, and why you might want to leverage operational transparency as a strategy to keep members updated on each step of complex transactions. Follow along with the presentation slides I've put in the show notes. And now, we present you with Speaking of Change 2020. Morning, everybody. How are you doing? Thank you for uh, coming from near and far. Um, I was trying to figure out the furthest distance someone traveled. Could be Racine, Kenosha, could be La Crosse. Uh, anyone here from Alaska? No? All right. And then I know some of you just walked across the, uh, the, the way or under the tunnels to get here, but uh, we really appreciate you taking some time to come out and uh, hang with uh, the Flaine Research Institute. And we have uh, our entire staff here today, with one exception, our CEO, um, who was double booked, and he's with the University of Wisconsin Credit Union right now um, at their staff and management meeting um, on the other side of town. Uh, but uh, if, if you could, uh, Feline staff, can you just stand up, raise your hand, wave um, so that you know uh, who those folks are. There's some still outside. Um, they have come from far and wide as well. Uh, we have uh, just opened a, an office in Irvine, California. Um, it has nothing to do with the weather, uh, but our, our, our good friends at CU Direct uh, have uh, basically gifted us some office space there. And now as we've started to hire for some new roles at the organization, we're starting to put uh, individuals there. And then we also have staff that uh, work remotely in this, in this world. So people have come from, from Florida, from Iowa, uh, and uh, Texas, and, and all places in between. So if you get a chance after this, and if you don't have another meeting, please uh, make a note of uh, just saying hi to some of the Feline staffers. So we're really happy to be here, and uh, this is an annual event that we do uh, at the Credit Union Campus to just say thank you um, to uh, our supporters here, that, that office here, um, most notably the, um, the, the two organizations that founded us, um, and that's uh, CUNY Mutual Group and uh, Credit Union National Association. Um, a little over 30 years ago, um, really smart people from those two organizations got together and said, we need a think tank, we need a research institute that focuses exclusively on the needs 
needs of credit unions and their members. And uh, over those 30 years, uh, we've evolved, grown, and changed. And uh, this is our opportunity to just share a little bit of the research uh, that we're working on today. Uh, notably, uh, CUNA Mutual Group is, a, uh, is one of our, our largest sponsors and um, uh, financial uh, donors of, the, of this organization. And they're, they're the sole sponsor of our Center for Consumer Decision-Making at the University of Arizona, um, which has just uh, completed its work. And uh, we're, we're shutting that down, not because it was a, a bad center, but because we're on to a, a set of new topics. And um, we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. Uh, now we're opening a, a host of new research centers across the United States, uh, including one that we just announced last week uh, a center for uh, research on diversity, equity, and inclusion in financial services, and that's being hosted at Villanova University and uh, being run by a, um, a professor there named Quinetta Robertson. So we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. We just wanted to do a shout out to our friends at CUNA Mutual and CUNA, and then also all of our other friends uh, that are here in the room. I see representatives from the National Credit Union Foundation, World Council, Wisconsin Credit Union League, uh, some local credit unions and some not lo so local credit unions. So uh, thank you everyone for, uh, for coming out and just uh, having a listen to, to what we're about to talk about. So uh, the organization of uh, today's uh, hour-long discussion um, is uh, we're going to focus in on some research that we've just completed and that we're continuing to do around this concept of uh, member experience. So uh, what I'm going to do briefly is for about 10 or 15 minutes discuss what that research has been about uh, and then uh, we're going to have a little bit of a panel discussion. Uh, we're fortunate enough to have uh, Steve Husick from CUNY Mutual Group uh, and then two of my colleagues from Feline, Erin Coleman, uh, who runs our advisory services, which is basically means she's on airplanes about 110% of the time. Uh, traveling to credit unions across North America, and then uh, our, our head of uh, research, Taylor Nelms, um, who is the uh, mastermind behind all of the, the research that, that we're going to talk about today and much, much more. Um, anyway, so the basis of today's discussion, along with links to each of these reports, um, we are doing a series of research on this topic of member experience. And this comes out of our Center for Organizational Entrepreneurship that's housed at the Harvard Business School. And these two studies that are up on on the screen um, are two studies that have been authored by our research fellow there is a professor um, at Harvard Business School, a guy named um, Dennis Campbell. And uh, the second report was um, co-authored by uh, an economist that we have on contract with us here at Feline named uh, Luis DePico. Um, the third part of the research is, is forthcoming, and it is, um, is really a deep dive into actual practices of member experience within credit unions. But mostly we're just going to be talking about these two reports. If you're interested in, in reading the full reports, downloading slide decks related to them, uh, some of these actually have workshop topics for individual credit unions if you want to kind of dive into the research and make it actionable, you can see that the links um, are there uh, for you to see. Um, so we're basically going to be talking about three questions, and those three questions are listed above, is basically like how do credit unions measure this member experience stuff, and how do you create some sort of baseline for what's good, what's bad? So if someone says we have a net promoter score of 55, is that good? Is that bad? Is it indifferent? Which way is it moving? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, second is this concept of target marketing, which is really not a, a new concept, but it's a concept that um, is changing and shifting for, for credit unions. You know, with credit unions have this legacy of serving very, very narrow fields of membership. And then the 1990s, we liberalized that. And now, for, to a large extent, many credit unions are serving 
large swaths of geography. Um, for example, in, in our state, uh, you know, you look at uh, Summit Credit Union or University of Wisconsin Credit Union that are the local uh, outfits here that are, are quite large. Effectively, they serve the entire state. Um, uh, according to their fields of membership. So how do we look at this concept of target marketing in the context of, of credit unions and how important is it? And then finally, how can credit unions leverage this concept of operational transparency as a strategy in a world where almost every interaction within financial services is going towards digital? So we kind of made our hay and made our name by having these personal face-to-face -face relationships with members. And now that everything is shifting largely to the digital world, how do we, how do we manage that? And we, we're gonna introduce a concept to uh, organizational transparency, so um, our operational transparency. So for those that, that have a meeting at 10.30 or 10.15, um, here are the quick answers to, to those questions. Um, so, uh, you know, how do you, how do you how do you align very carefully and consistently? How important? Um, it's really important. And then uh, how do you leverage operational transparency? Transparently. <laughs> so for those that want a little bit more detail about the answers to that, um, I'm going to dive into those right now. So. Aligning on the right member experience metrics, and we use MX as a, an acronym to talk about uh, member experience. As you can see from the chart, you know, we did a survey of credit unions and asked them, what ways do you collect data around member experience? And this, these, these were the results. And you can kind of see you know, some, of the, some of the things that um, are, are fairly basic, you know, like basically you know, how many numbers of members do we have, overall satisfaction, how, what's their affiliation with the organization, um, something that a lot of you are probably familiar with is net promoter score. And basically what we discovered was that there's not much of a link between what type of satisfaction scores or member experience um, data that you collect and performance. The really important thing, and it's almost like a hygiene type of thing for institutions, is to collect data and collect it on a consistent basis. That was the that, that was the conclusion that, that we came up with. So I know that there's like some you know in the member experience world, there's lots of wars between oh no, net promoter score is the best, or customer effort score is the best, or overall satisfaction scores are the best. And if you talk to the accolades of each of those, they'll 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 pull out research and data that says you know net promoter score is linked specifically to um, uh, profitable growth. And then someone from customer experience will be like, yeah, but I've got this data that shows this. Generally speaking, what we discover is that what matters is that you collect the data and you collect it on a consistent basis. Um, one score may not be the best for every organization. So uh, hopefully that's, uh, that's a finding that, that you can find to be uh, quite actionable uh, within your organization. Um, the second question is identifying this concept of, of target markets and designing uh, a value proposition. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to pick on one of our old I3ers, not old, an alumni, Shannon from from Educators. She didn't know I was going to do this, and I'm going to throw this. This is a microphone. This is a hot mic. This is a hot mic. So you're going to see the. So our I3 group is made up of. Um, uh, high potential executives uh, from across the country, and Shannon is, a, is an alumni from, from that group. So you're going to see the skill level that that that, uh, that she has, both physically and mentally. So I'm going to throw this to you. There you go. See, there we go. Yeah, I know. So you're from Educators Credit Union. I am. Uh, tell us how you do your target marketing. Like, do, do you? 
pick specific targets within your membership? Or do you kind of say, this is our membership, this is who we are, this is how we, we, we treat everyone pretty much the same? How, how do you treat target marketing? Uh, we, we align it with our strategic drivers yeah. and also what our uh, yearly organizational goals are. Um, um, and what we want to do is make sure that we're getting to a place where we're providing the right um, story or communication to, to our members that want what's going on and relevant in their life. Mm -hmm. So I always give this example, because <laughs> Toby knows. <laughs> you know, if I walk into Home Depot and you're sending me something about a student loan, it's not relevant to me. I don't care. We all know in this room that we're inundated with millions of stuff. So when I walk into Home Depot, I want educators to pop up on their device and to say, hey, if you use your plastic, you're going to receive what's this benefit? Is it points? Is it a discount? What is it? Um, and making sure that it's relevant and that we're staying top of mind. Yeah. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say Educators Credit Union used to serve educators. Exclusively. So we were founded by teachers. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And then, so who do you serve now? Uh, we serve anyone that lives or works in, in the 11 counties that we serve. Okay. So then do you, do you have some sort of uh, segmentation model where you say, you know, the, the, you know these are the um, people that live in these 11 counties, mm -hmm. and within that, these are the people that we think that we can serve really, really well? Or do you say, this is our membership right here in the 11 county? Um, well, I always like to say that there's something to be said about low-hanging fruit, mm -hmm. and I think that that aligns with what our strategic drivers are and our organizational initiatives for that year, because if you try to be something to everyone, as all of you know, you're going to be nothing to everyone. So we want to make sure that we are providing the resources to an audience that are in need of those products and services. Great. Thank Does that you. help? Yeah. No, I yeah, know. no, yeah. I didn't solve yeah. anything. Give it a toss back, right? Yeah, there we go. Um, let's give Shannon a round of applause. And you can tell Shannon really loves her credit union, but she has a tattoo of it on her on her on her arm. So it's pretty impressive stuff. Um, uh, you know, so we 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 talk about this stuff, and you know, we we came up with this term to talk about um, uh, this 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 notion of better serving um, members in a segmented way and kind of saying, okay, even though this is our field of membership, if it's the case of Summit Credit Union, we can serve everyone in the state of Wisconsin, but really what we're doing is we're serving this segment because we know we can uh, serve them well. So when we, in our, in our research, we, we asked credit unions to kind of self-report on how well they're doing it, and about a quarter of credit unions are, are, feel like they're doing well on this concept of member compatibility, which is defined up here. Um, so what, right? So then we took that and then measured it against long-term performance data within the institution. And what we discovered was that credit unions that scored themselves high on this concept of uh, practices around member compatibility, um, it linked really strongly with lots of really uh, positive indicators for, for growth. And sometimes this may be hard for you to see, but you can see, um, you know, we came up with this concept of an index of um, uh, member compatibility. If it's, you know, closer to three, uh, that means that you're higher. So these are the high performers, the, you know, the top 25% versus uh, the, the, the bottom performers. And you can see um, how that links in with really positive 
indicators of organizational performance like asset growth, um, non-interest expenses, so uh, being a little bit more efi uh, uh, efficient uh, organizations. Actually, what we discovered was that um, ones that are in the member compatibility area had a little bit higher expenses, but their asset growth um, um, more than compensated for it. Lower delinquencies, more loans per assets, actually higher capital level levels, and then at the end of the day, uh, higher levels of uh, return on return on assets. All kind of um, controlled for other um, uh, other types of categories uh, related to uh, the, the demographics of the organization. So the punchline of this is is that credit unions that do a job of you know whether you want to call it segmentation or identifying segments that they say we're really good at serving this segment and we're gonna be very focused on it, do a lot better um, with, within, within a variety of categories. Um, and then the third question, and then we'll, we'll have a little bit of a panel discussion with some experts up here and then some Q&A from you, is this concept of operational transparency, which is defined right here, of the practice of showing members the work that goes on behind the scenes of a product or service delivery. And this becomes so much more important in today's world where you, know, you can do a loan right now, you can even do a mortgage without interacting necessarily with a human. Usually not the case, but in maybe less complex uh, types of transactions, it happens all the time. You know, the, the, the most um, obvious example today uh, where we see that is, you know, we used to write lots of checks, had to go to the bank, or I mean, to the bank, oh my gosh, the, 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 the credit union, the credit union, I know, all right, I'm done. Had to go to the credit union to, um, to, to deposit it, and now we can do it on our phones. So that's like the most, the most obvious examples. Um, and then when we surveyed credit unions saying, okay, as we make the shift from a bricks and mortar physical world to the more digital world, are you practicing this concept of operational transparency because one of the benefits of working with people in the academic community is that um, they have experience and research and expertise from industries outside of financial services and there are lots of innovation going on um, in other service industries, uh, one of which is, is around this concept of operational transparency. And what we discovered was that it generally hasn't been adopted. Um, so, you know, when, when we talk about new fancy terms, it's like, well, give me an example of, of what this looks like. Um, I'll give you one example outside the industry uh, that's pretty mundane, uh, but I think everyone can probably relate to this. And I was talking with uh, my colleague Taylor um, about this specific example, and um, I got the city wrong, but I got the topic right. So uh, the city of Boston uh, has this service where it allows you to report on your digital device the need to fill in a pothole, right? I said it was San Diego, and he's like, what are you talking, he's from Southern California. He's like, what are you talking about? There's no potholes in California. <laughs> I'm like, that's right. So in the city of Boston, you, you can get on an app and report to the city that there's a pothole on whatever street, and then the city then, from an operational transparency perspective, gets back to you, tells you when the repair will be made, and then they take a picture and send it back to you. So that's the concept of, I know it's pretty cool, right? Um, uh, this concept of operational transparency. And when they went back and surveyed people that participated in that and then people that, um, you know, they, they had a baseline of satisfaction with road repairs, what they discovered was that the time to repair was absolutely no different with the introduction of a digital app, but the perception from the residents in the city of Boston was that things improved dramatically because they were informed every step along the way, right? So you can kind of see another mundane example um, that I was just recently told is a little bit of vaporware, but the, the um, Domino's pizza tracker, 
right? I still do not understand why people will want to track their pizza and where it is, uh, but it's this concept of transparency. You call into a busy Domino's, they say we're going to be there in 30 minutes. Uh, where, where is it? Um, there's probably certain mindsets where people really need to know where their pizza is and, <laughs> and, and, and how, it's, how long it's going to take to get there. Uh, but seriously, within financial services, you know, some of the examples are some of these high complex types of transactions um, in, in the mortgage area. Um, anybody here that wants to admit that they got a mortgage from Rocket Mortgage or Quicken Loans? Anyone? No? Every, every, every loan is from a credit union in this room. Um, but, uh, but you know, th that's, that's one example within financial services of bringing people along during the journey of a very, very complex product. And I know credit unions are really starting to, to do this. Um, and uh, it is uh, kind of an emerging issue, and it's hard to link it specifically with member experience, but you can kind of see how that might uh, be able to, to play out. So that's a, a concept that we're going to talk a little bit about uh, during our panel discussion. Um, which is going to be starting right now. So um, what I'd like to do is invite um, my two colleagues, Aaron and Taylor, up, as, uh, along with uh, Steve Husick, who's the uh, Senior Manager of Competitive and Market Intelligence here at CUNY Mutual Group. So let's give them a round of applause, and they're going to have a seat right here. Um, so, Steve, I want to start with you. Uh, first, for those that, that don't know that don't know you, um, if you could just kind of give us a brief overview of what you do at Keen Mutual. So, uh, in the competitive and market intelligence area, um, we, uh, obviously, we're uh, keeping tabs on uh, major competitors of Keen Mutual Group. We're also tracking major uh, market trends uh, that affect both us and the competition. And then finally, um, I am responsible for uh, thought leadership. So uh, every year we do some custom primary research uh, that we then share out at ACUC, Discovery, and other conferences and venues. So you just um, released a report around this topic um, right. through, through CUNY Mutual, and you introduced a concept called recovery. Um, what, what is that and what does it mean within the context of member experience? Well, we, we didn't really call it recovery. You and I called it recovery. But basically, it's, it's um, the notion of if a, if a member is having a negative experience with uh, their credit union or other financial institution and uh, they're uh, experiencing anxiety, uh, stress, or fear from that uh, experience, um, it's imperative that um, the financial institution, the credit union, take some sort of action to make that member feel better. And we found that um, the majority of uh, consumers report that they're, uh, for their most recent loan, that their financial institution did took no such action if they were anxious, stressed, or afraid. And so uh, those people who did get uh, some sort of uh, um, action or, or, or the uh, financial institution tried to address it, um, the, there was a significant lift in um, customer experience scores and in terms of loyalty scores. So um, it is really imperative on, on financial institutions, credit unions, to um, if for those members who are not having the best experience to attempt to recover. Yeah. So do you, do you have some uh, examples within the either credit union or financial sure. services world? Sure. So um, one of the, um, or the, the number one reason why um, 
borrowers are stressed out while applying for a loan is the unknown. They simply don't know if they're going to be apply, uh, approved or not. So there are a number of different steps that we identified um, financial institutions taking to address that um, worry or source of anxiety. Um, so you have Credit Karma, they give uh, approval odds, so they work with the, uh, with the lenders, get the underwriting criteria, the borrower comes into Credit Karma's site, provides some minimal financial information about their situation, and then for all the different card offers that they're presented, they're, you know, it's, it's green for those that they have a high chance uh, for approval on, yellow if it's iffy, and then red, you know, definitely don't apply for those cards. So that would be one example. You know, there's um, uh, uh, click to accept pre-approved offers. Uh, QNexus would be an example of a provider of that kind of a service. And then finally, um, you know, just the standard pre-approved uh, notification, like a, a mailing or something that you've been pre-approved for this type of a auto loan or this type of a card. Yeah. The, the, the idea that you were talking about, I think it's at UW Credit Union. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think it's with an organization called Savvy Money, which is it's, it's kind of like a credit karma. Um, it was interesting with speaking of our I3 group around 12 years ago, mm -hmm. we came up with that concept of let's get an approximately correct credit score and serve it up to members. And this was before there was mass adoption of online or mobile banking. Um, so it was let's send mailers to people. And it was um, for those, there's a few I3 uh, active people and alumni in the room. Um, we got um, uh, nice letters from the, the legal firms at, uh, at, at the credit reporting agencies. And it's amazing to see how fast things have come because, you know, right now, I'm a, I'm a member of uh, UW Credit Union, and uh, when you do log into your to your online banking through through your phone, you see your credit score. It's not necessarily your effective one, but and pretty soon, from my understanding, is that now they're going to be able to serve up offers um, to you behind the online banking screen to say you have a credit card with XYZ institution. We can give you a better deal. Um, so that that may be another another way to uh, around the recovery. So thanks for that. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna you you want to add something, Taylor? Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, yeah. I think that these are great examples of operational transparency in action. I, you know, when we started to look at the ways that credit unions have uh, and other financial institution, institutions have rolled out mm -hmm. forms of operational transparency, the most common ones are simply tracking uh, individuals' process, mm -hmm. uh, you know, their place in a process, whether it's onboarding or origination. That's very simple. Right. You just, you know, you put the progress bar at the top of the screen and you tell them here's what's coming next. The more difficult kinds of operational transparency, but the much more effective kinds are explaining the whys behind decisions and underwriting decisions are obviously the most anxiety producing for consumers. But there are all kinds of decisions that are getting made all the time as people engage with uh, with financial institutions. So just to give you another example, the contact center. Yeah. is another area where you get really um, variable, I'll say, uh, satisfaction scores, right. right? And some of that has to do with people getting pushed out of some channels into the call, uh, the contact center, right? You start a transaction in a self-service channel, you get pushed out of that self-service channel for one reason or another into a full-service you know, contact center channel. It's very difficult to recover those scores. But in some related research we did, we found that the follow-up 
right, mm-hmm. is actually one of the critical drivers of, you know, recovering uh, right. satisfaction. So, the, but it's about explaining to people in that moment of follow-up why a decision was made, how the institution came to it, and what the consumer can then do, right, to ameliorate that. Exactly. Uh, that interaction. Yeah, that's great. Um, I want to go to Aaron uh, r- r- real quick. We're going to get back to you, Taylor. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, I've got plenty to say. So Don't worry. Tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. Um, not going all the way back, but maybe <laughs> just starting with when, when, when you were the credit union and now what you do today. Yeah, so I started my career a long time ago, to my dismay, before some of my colleagues were born. And, um, and I worked in IT for two credit unions in South Florida. So that's how I started my credit union career. Uh, and now fast forward today and um, through my career evolution, uh, I run advisory services, as George said, and my job is to work with credit unions all across North America. Um, and one of the things that we do, I teach innovation and also historically have done a lot of work around member experience. So what both Steve and Taylor have been explaining and also in George's introduction if you noticed, I'm nodding my head constantly. And the reason for that is because it reminds me of all of the feedback and what we hear from credit union teams, management teams, and boards all the time around these topics. Uh, Being, trying to be all things to all people uh, and how that is not working for us. (laughs) Um, How we don't provide transparency, or if we do, we require the members to do a lot of work to understand where it is and how they get that information. And we also know from our research and also anecdotally from our experience with you that uh, members don't want to look and they want an answer right now, particularly when it comes to these very stressful situations for them. For example, I mean, I work in credit unions. I know how all of it works. And every time I apply for a loan, I am stressed out and I want to know what's happening. Why is it taking so long? Um, And so if it happens to us, people who work in this movement and understand it, imagine the person who doesn't have any experience and who is relying on us and trusting us uh, with their money. And maybe, you know, in, particularly in the case of mortgages, the, the most important and biggest expense and biggest component of debt in their lives. Um, so that's exactly what we see. Speaking of, speaking of your work, you are in the field a lot from Saskatchewan in February to Florida yes. in uh, August, August. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and everywhere in between. You've had the opportunity to interact with small credit unions, large credit unions, you know, credit unions that focus specifically on one employer to large community institutions. If you reflect on some of that work, uh, what are some of the things that you've seen from an exceptional perspective from member experience? And then on the flip side, uh, areas for improvement um, or, you know, uh, opportunities for, for improving that member experience. Yeah, I would say uh, in terms of exceptional, I would say there are some credit unions who have done a very good job uh, determining where their value proposition lies, um, really focusing on that customer compatibility or member compatibility and not swaying from it. And I've also noticed that it is very difficult to do that. And uh, credit unions have to stay the course. And we did a report quite some time ago about value propositions. And we did some case studies of credit unions. And one that comes to mind that we get to work with regularly is now called Green State, but used to be the University of Iowa Credit Union. And uh, their focus is around, well, how do we 
you know, how do we focus on numbers who care about operational efficiency that don't need a lot of high touch? And it has not been easy. Uh, they have found their way, and they are a very large credit union, but they have in their contact center, they have uh, 35 people, and they are um, they're $8 billion in assets, I think. Is that correct? I think that's right. And so, you know, and they've had to make major sacrifices for that. Um, so I think, you know, it is a, uh, it's an example of making a choice and staying the course and also that it's hard. And even when you're a really large credit union that has lots of resources, that that can be the case. Um, I would say uh, another example is actually a credit union that I just talked to yesterday in North Carolina, uh, a larger credit union, and they have just made a decision around the kind of customers, the kind of members they want to go after. It's a particular demographic in a particular geographical space. North Carolina is very competitive in the credit union market and also in banking. And they've just said, listen, we're not, we're going to say no. So having the ability to exercise the no muscle, which is something at Feline that we struggle with too, <laughs> it's something that we talk about all the time, is also really important to say, okay, this, this is where we're going, we're going to go. And they're seeing the benefits of that, but it's not immediate. So sometimes it's difficult, I've noticed with, the, with boards of directors, because the executive team will say, hey, this is what we're going to do. And the board goes, all right, let's try it. And then three months pass, and they're like, uh-oh, not working. And so that's, that becomes a delicate balance. How do you manage the, that it, it accumulates over time? It's not just like one day you turn it on and then, la, everything is wonderful, you know? So um, that's something. So those are a couple of exceptional. A couple of, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, which just... Uh, boggle my mind. So there's a very large credit union in Texas, and we were doing member journey mapping uh, as an aside. The first and only time I have facilitated a session in the dark because they had a major power outage. So there are pictures. Can, can, can you can you just describe real briefly what member journey mapping? Yes, is? I will. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, so I had to facilitate in the dark with the phones that were our flashlights. But member journey mapping is where we talk about the member experience. We talk about. Uh, building empathy, and we most importantly, we talk about experience from the perspective of the member. Because one thing that we do, we're excellent at caring about our members, and we also usually talk about them in the third person. And so a very important part of this process is to practice explaining the experience from the perspective of the person who is having it. I log into the website, I walk into the branch, I press submit my application and nothing happens, right? Because we find when we can do that, it has a dramatic impact uh, for the credit union teams who are engaged. Then what we do is we put up big pieces of white paper all over the walls and use sticky notes and uh, we ask the teams to document every single step of the process from beginning to end and we pay special attention to the pain points. Moments of delight are important too, so the emotional component of that experience, not just process mapping, but really an experience map. And then from there, we come up with a series of ideas to help solve those problems and then we design an ideal future state. So when I say member journey mapping, that's what we're doing. We're engaged in this. We have this, I'm in this room with 25 people from all over the credit union and we are talking about the member experience and we're talking about the onboarding process. So the first thing we talked about was becoming a member 
And then we talked about, okay, well, the scenario is I become a member because I want a loan. Okay, great. So I go to the website and I click on I want to be a member or I really want a loan. So you have to become a member. So you're, the member potential member is bouncing from one website to another, not sure where to click or not click. But then they finally get through it and they get a thanks for trying to be part of our special club at XYZ Credit Union. We'll get back to you in a few days and let you know about that. Now, the member, potential member, is like, I really need this loan because I need to buy a car. Let's just say I need to buy a car. And I want to do business with this credit union. And they're telling me I got to wait. Well, it's Friday. And they state, well, the credit union states it will take one or two days. In actuality, they reported to me, which almost made me fall over, it takes five to seven business days. So, yeah. And they also had wait times of 14 minutes in their contact center, which they said they thought members thought was pretty okay. Um, and it wasn't because anyone wasn't doing their job or they didn't really care. It was, it was the uh, ostr operational ostrich syndrome. Okay, if I stick my head in the sand, I don't have to think about it, and we can just continue to do things like we always have. Um, so that's a particular example of, okay, wait a minute. When we think about it from the member experience, it's a lot more painful uh, than when we think about it. Oh, well, the member goes in, and then they click, and we tell them it's going to take two days. We give them transparency, and then they wonder why their call center volumes are so high because it's taking all this time, and we as members are stressed out. Like, I need this loan. What am I, what's happening? Why is it taking so long? And the credit unions has all these explanations in the back, but we think about our own experience as consumers. We could care less. I just need a loan. I don't care about you got to send it to some other office and who takes priority. And again, it's not because we are not doing our jobs. Everyone's working really hard. It's just the, the trick is to think about it from the member perspective, I would say. So those are a couple of examples. Yeah. So I think, I think pretty, pretty okay is not a good answer right. on, on, that, on that one to seven survey. Exactly. So yeah, right. maybe, maybe exactly. they got to figure that one out. But th th yeah. thanks for that. And I um, want to shift over to Taylor. And first of all, thank you all for sitting in the order that, that you're pictured. So I don't know if you, <laughs> you guys did a great job on that. In case I got confused. So, Taylor, real briefly, share share your role, and then maybe dig a little bit more into the research that we've done, and then also the stuff that we have planned around this member experience topic and some insights that folks may be interested in learning about. Sure. So um, I'm the senior director of research at Filene, which means I run the basic research team. I manage our partnerships with academics around the country. Uh, you know, on this top on this topic around member experience, there's so much, and it's a, such a rich area um, with a tons of unsolved mysteries. But you know, I would highlight two areas uh, that are really interesting to me. One we've touched on quite a bit already around uh, what we're calling member compatibility, but is really about the fit between members' preferences and expectations, their needs, preferences, and expectations, and the credit union operating model. When we talk about segmentation, I think often we talk about it as if you could take whatever products and services you have and wrap them differently for different groups. What we're talking about when we talk about member compatibility is something deeper than that. It's about the alignment between your offerings and how you deliver those offerings. 
and con- you know what consumers are expecting or what consumers need. So the most the, it is a really simple example, but it's I think it's instructive, right? So think about the difference between uh, the value proposition or the operating model provided by Southwest Airlines and you know um, Emirates Airlines, right? Or um, or even or even like Delta or American, right? Um, there's very clear alignment uh, that each organization is offering, not just in its marketing, the way that it tells its story, but actually in the way that it's built its business, right? Um, one really focused on low prices um, and what they've given up Southwest to be able to offer lower prices is. There are fewer destinations you can travel to, right? We're not going to give you any kind of really tailored customer service, right? Like you're going to go through the cattle call of getting on the airplane, right? Like you've got to manage all of that yourself, right? But we'll give you the discount on the fares, right? Um, and versus a very different kind of pricing model, right? So those are those are operational models. That's not just that's not just wrapping, right? It's the way that you've built your value proposition um, so that consumers self-select into your business, right? Um, Credit unions, for a lot of reasons, um, are not great at this, right? They're getting better. Um, But as you, I mean, I think as we saw in in the survey work that we did, and we didn't just go out and ask credit unions, are you doing member compatibility, right? Like we asked a whole series of questions that aligned with that, um, with that, that muscle, that strategic muscle. And then we built a member compatibility index out of that to try to measure, you know, which credit unions are better, um, better at that than, than others. Um, and, you know, we found that only really about 25% of credit unions do it, do it really well, do it really, you know, powerfully. Um, and yet those that did, you know, outperformed that those that didn't. And that, you know, maybe is obvious. Um, but I think that it's really instructive for us to, to think about because credit unions historically have had that choice about member compatibility model, their value proposition made for them as a result simply of their charter or field of membership. Right. They didn't you didn't really have to think about the kinds of members that you were serving. Right. Because it was built into your very charter. These days, most credit unions do have to make a choice. You can try to be all things to all people. And there are examples outside of financial services of businesses that are able to do that. Um, But it's really difficult. Right. Um, And you may find yourself underserving uh, folks that you want to, you know, serve really well, serve excellently. Right? Because you are, uh, you you have to make decisions about resource allocation. So you know, I think that that member compatibility framework is a really useful one. Um, and as a part of this work, we have built a few t- um, toolkits for credit unions to be able to use in an executive team meeting or member experience team meeting, um, or even at the board level to be able to say, I mean, even just you know, at a very high level, what 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 is our core membership? Who are we actually serving right now? What's our hypothetical membership? And what are the expectations of those different groups? And then to actually ask ourselves, where are we spending our money? Mm -hmm. Because if members, the actual core membership that we're serving, really value deposit pricing and we're really over-investing in, you know, loan pricing, right? Or another example, our members really value... um, you know, that, that kind of mobile delivery. And we're trying to split our investment between opening new branches and building out a new, you know, mobile offering. You know, that doesn't align with what members are, um, are looking for, your current, your actual core membership, right? So you have to make some choices, I think, sometimes. Um, and that can be hard for mission-driven organizations that want to serve everybody super well. 
Um, the second thing is is we're currently now looking at we're we're conducting a whole series of interviews. Um, we're collecting qualitative data from. Uh, credit union leaders, some of whom are from institutions who performed really well on our survey and some of whom are from institutions that didn't perform as well. We're not telling them um, how well they performed, but we're, we're really sort of working with them to try to understand, okay, like let's get into your strategic thinking. How are you making decisions about who your membership is, how you're serving your membership, what kinds of value are you creating for them? Um, and we're getting back some really interesting uh, information that we're going to build out into some, uh, some examples, some kind of institutional personas um, that we believe will be able to sort of give credit unions something really tangible to be able to see themselves um, in this aggregate data. Yeah. So that's um, that's on the way we're conducting those interviews currently. Yeah. And for, for those of you that are interested, we, we are hosting an event on this exact topic in, um, in Boston with our, our friends at Harvard Business School. And it's free for anyone that's a member of Feline, and it's a day and a half program, April 28th and 29th in, in Boston. So if you're interested, you can go to the events page um, of our website and uh, check that out because it's a unique opportunity to interact with some of these leading thinkers around uh, service experience, not just in financial services, but uh, across uh, across the across the world. So we have a little, little bit more than 10 minutes, and I wanted to open it up to um, questions from the audience um, to see if they have... Uh, some things to see if you can stump the experts. So here you go. Tell, and t tell, us, tell us your name, where you're from. Juan Sestach from Ignite Sales. Is the, uh, from a member experience perspective, is the overarching strategy or desire to get members to come into the branches for a face-to-face, -face, or is it to push out more data so that they can, at the you know, comfort of their own home, actually you know, navigate through that? Yeah. It depends. Yeah. yeah, it's wide, it's widely variable based upon uh, based upon who the credit union is and what they think. And this is kind of what what our research is talking about, and we're, what we're trying to understand more. Uh, because if you, it is important for credit unions to understand. Well, do our members and our target members do they prefer information pushed out and be able to mostly work? Uh, online, or do they prefer to come in? I mean, we, I was just with a group last week. Like, if the member has taken the effort to get in their car and drive to the credit union and find a place to park, get out of the car and walk into the branch, and then they're greeted with all these machines, then that might that might not be a great experience for that member. However, that might not be the member that you're looking to attract, that you're focused on, and that's where we get to the whole notion of making a choice, particularly if you're community-based. Like yeah. Steve, do you have anything to add to that? or? Well, uh, I think um, you know, it has a lot to do with uh, this operational transparency notion. If, if folks um, really you know, don't care and want a black box experience, you know, um, and they're, they're fine with that, you know, uh, perhaps the remote channels would be the way for that um, segment to, to go or for the credit union to serve that segment. Um, but, you know, in terms of uh, that emotional experience, um, of member experience, we uh, we found, and then also J JD Power um, confirmed this, that offering a, you know, really satisfactory emotional experience where the member is delighted and feels really good about it is very hard to do through uh, exclusively through the digital channels. And so, um, you know, we, we see that people who are applying for loans 
uh, via the digital channels. You know, their customer experience scores are lower and things like that. And it's because of that lack of human touch. So, you know, it just depends on the on the segment that you're pursuing. Yeah, I'll, I'll just add two things. One is that, um, you know, so much of the self-service channel depends on building out reliable, consistent infrastructure. Infrastructure is important. Uh, it's invisible and um, it's great until it breaks down. <laughs> and that's the moment when it becomes most visible, right? Um, the second thing is we're, we're working with a, a PhD candidate at Harvard Business School right now uh, who will be presenting in April to really dig into this emotional side of things. She has a psychology background, financial services background, and we're, we're working with her, Michelle Schell, to really try to understand what are the emotional costs of self-service delivery and how do you bring that relationship banking experience into a self-service channel. So we got a question back here. Um, I'm going to throw it. We're fully insured by Kinney Mutual Group, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Thank goodness I caught it. Um, Chris Shell, Summit Credit Union. Um, I'm wondering on this notion of transparency, if there was any part of the work that you did that looked into, is there like a tipping point where too much transparency becomes not a good thing? Because it, it's like, you know, how much do they want to know about how the sausage is made? I would say, and I, actually, Steve, you may have something to, to add to this, but I would say, yeah, so we've started to look into this more. Part of the problem is that there's a very small sort of sample, right, of folks who are kind of doing this in financial services. And again, it's usually very simple. It's just sort of tracking people in a process rather than give, you know, building in explanations for how decisions get made. So it's, you know, there's really not enough data for us to really make sort of generalizations at this point. But I would say that um, it's pretty clear it's not just what you say, but when you say it. Right? So it's at the moment of breakdown in particular when the explanation matters. And there's a lot, there's some anecdotal evidence to suggest that even when loan decision, negative loan decisions get made, when people say, when your institution says no, that if you provide the explanation for why and provide a path to yes, as some people yeah. in the industry say, that that um, promotes trust in institutions, even when the transaction you know, isn't realized. Yeah, and I, I'd, I'd have to agree with you that, um, you know, the, not, you don't want to see all the details all through the, um, for example, loan underwriting. Uh, the Credit Karma example, I think, is really good in that Credit Karma has the criteria. And then they can tell the consumer, uh, you know, green, you have very good odds of being approved for this card, yellow, marginal. Um, also, um, the credit unions that do offer up the credit score, and some actually offer a simulator uh, to uh, better understand what different actions um, uh, how that would impact the credit score. They're not showing the actual underwriting criteria for specific loans. So they're not saying that, you know, this 650 will get you the car loan or not. You know, they're just being upfront with the credit score. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's, it's interesting, Chris, um, on a similar but not quite uh, exact topic, um, we used to have um, 
we used to have McKinsey consultants work with us. Um, they basically donated their fees because there's no way. I think they're in, our entire budget would be one project with them. Um, <laughs> but around, you know, what, we, we worked with them on, on service delivery and member experience probably about six or seven years ago. And you know, one of the things that they noted about credit unions that was so different than their banking clients was that the banking clients were asking that, the, the question of the tipping point um, as it relates to service delivery. And the questions generally were, how little can we invest in service delivery until the point where they get so pissed off, meaning the customers get so pissed off that they're just not going to continue to come. But how, what, what, what is that tipping point where we can continue to piss them off and spend as little as we can before they leave? Um, and you know, I think it's a similar type of uh, calculus uh, around this topic. Um, and you know, if, if one thing I think you know, credit unions, their differentiation is they probably opt more for that personal um, experience. And as that becomes more remote, um, you know, this this concept of transparency it probably becomes more and more important. Um, and at the same time, you don't want to be an oversharer as well. You don't want to say, okay, you know, now we're entering it into line five of the underwriting, um, you, know, you know, obviously. So, John, you've got a question. Yeah. Good morning, all. Yes, uh, uh, John Bardellis, uh, a credit union consultant. Uh, with this being an election year, a lot of uncertainty in the United States right now, especially among uh, all uh, financial groups. Um, I'd like to get your take. Is there one key theme that you see that keeps coming up in all of your research, by the way, that's excellent for the credit union movement? Is there one key area or topic you see this year that credit unions should be focusing on, especially this being a very uncertain election year? So I'm going to let Aaron take that one. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> first, first. I know everyone has stuff to uh, add. So yeah. I would say based on, based on the work that, that I do, um, you know, it's kind of all over the place. I hear many CEOs who say, I feel good. Everything's going to be great. And I feel, I see others who say, um, we really want to focus, we're not really, I see others say, we're not really sure what we should focus on. Do we focus on technology? Do we focus on our employees? Do we focus on members and all the members? And we have to save money because there might be an economic adjustment and we're not really sure what to do. Um, and so I think it kind of depends on the credit union and their leanings and who their membership base is. Um, that, that's how it appears to me. I think there's not one theme. I think there are, as is uh, we've been talking about, one of the challenges we have is we're trying to do so many things that we have uh, trouble picking one. And I think that's what, that's what I'm seeing in the work that I've done so far last year and into this year around strategy and so forth. To the extent that uh, the uncertainty around the election creates uh, anxiety, stress, and fear, uh, among the uh, among voters and among credit union members, um, that can impact credit unions' uh, customer experience scores. We found in our research that people who were anxious about their own personal situation, their own uh, finances, uh, those people that felt like they're in too much debt, you know, all those negative emotions right off the bat cause those people to uh, give their financial institution lower customer experience ratings. And so to the extent that the election is creating, uh, you know, these negative emotions, you know, watch out for that and, and just ensure that, um, you know, you're cognizant of the, of the person's uh, 
you know, emotional makeup at the, at the moment, if it's a face-to-face situation, uh, you know, and offer reassurance and those types of things. Um, and try, try your best to um, translate um, the experience into, you know, into a positive experience for that person by improving their personal situation. Yeah, I, I think that, that both of those are right. I mean, operationally, I think that credit union leaders are focusing on a few critical challenges. Uh, growth, obviously, being at the top of their, you know, their sort of wish list, right? Um, I think that it's an open question about, you know, how they are measuring growth and how they are seeking to achieve it. Is it you know, growth in member acquisition? Is it growth in, um, in assets? Is it, is it growth in deposits? You know, those are different strategies um, and require a different kind of compatibility approach. Um, I would also say that there are some deep structural or secular changes in the macro economy that credit unions um, ought to have been paying attention to and should continue to pay attention to um, that are changing consumers' lives and livelihoods. And that's the focus of one of uh, Filene's new centers of excellence, the Center for Consumer Financial Lives and Transition, for which CUNA Mutual Group is one of the key, the lead uh, strategic partner and financial supporter for uh, that new center of excellence uh, will be led by um, Lisa Cervone at the University of Pennsylvania, a researcher uh, who's done a, quite a bit of work on alternative financial services and, and um, consumers' financial practices. Um, but one of some of the big structural changes that we're seeing uh, that folks you know, around the United States have been noting have to do with um, you know, low savings rates um, and uh, stagnant wages, uh, really high levels of consumer household debt um, and growing levels of income volatility. Uh, I think that all of those things um, are really, you know, powerful drivers of uncertainty and anxiety in consumers' lives. So as we dig into that topic through this new center's Center of Excellence, we're going to be looking at that idea of transition in two ways. One, thinking about those big structural transitions, but then linking them to life life cycle transitions, planned and unplanned. So the degree to which people's life cycle transitions are then remade and and changed um, by virtue of the broader structural environment that's well outside of the control of any individual or any institution. So that's what we're paying, part of what we're paying attention to here at Filene. Yeah, and, and what we hear more and more um, is this concept, not just at the individual credit union level, but also at the national trade association level, is the whole concept of credit unions as a really significant player in financial well-being. Um, and all of the things that are, are associated with that. So, you know, just to summarize the, the, the research, the, the three key points I think to remember around the member experience topic are um, consistent measurement, um, looking at this concept of member compatibility in terms of what your operations can do and how you can best serve the, the, the segment of members that meets that, that, that criteria, and this new concept around operational uh, transparency. So really encourage you to, to go back and, and read the research and apply it um, as you see fit. And as always, we are here to, to help you. We're a support organization for, for the credit union system. We issue this research for the benefit of individuals like you, and we want to thank you so much. And I want to thank uh, the panel for taking time out of their day. Um, Steve Husick, Taylor Nelms, and Aaron Coleman. Let's give them a round of applause. All right, that's it for this fill-in. Thank you for listening. 
If you've made it this far, you're clearly serious about taking control of your strategies and operations to create the winning experience members seek. Take the next step by joining Filene and Harvard Business School professor Dennis Campbell in Boston on April 28th and 29th for a hands-on event that will raise the bar on your member experience strategy. Revealed live and in person for the first time, Dennis will discuss his cutting-edge research on what works, why, and how your credit union can win on MX in the financial services marketplace. Visit filene.org slash experience to register. If you like this episode, please do rate us on Apple Podcasts so more people can find us. And make sure you're subscribed to the Filene Fill-In Podcast so you can keep up with what's going on at Filene. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to get in touch about today's show, email me at hollyf at filene.org or find us on Twitter at Filene Research. Until next time, thanks everyone. (laughs) 